Thank you, Pastor Jason. Musicians, singers, beautiful job. Thank you so much. Now turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John. He is a good, good father, isn't he? And good to us through all of life. And his love and, and character is perfect and worthy of our praise. Beautiful, beautiful. Now we're going through the book of John verse by verse. And today we come to chapter 8 and verse number 12. And uh, again, I remind you, this is a journey of faith. The book itself promises if we'll go through this book uh, and uh, take its principles to heart, then we will grow in our faith and go forward in our faith in the Lord. And uh, we've seen, of course, marvelous things out of this book. Now, when we come to chapter 8, verse uh, the first 11 verses, we have the uh, woman who was taken in adultery, and the Lord forgave her on the spot. She called him Lord, Master, Owner, and he said he condemned her not. The God of the universe said to her, there is no condemnation for you. What a blessed truth. Then we come to verse number 12. Look at it with me, if you would. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He said, I am the light of the world. What a moment this was in human history when Jesus revealed himself. This is the second of the great I am, seven of them in the book of John. And here he says, I am. I am the light of the world. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Now make it profitable for each of us, I pray. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to our hearts, to our hungry, thirsting hearts today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I want you to go back with me a thousand years, two thousand years. 3,000 years, 3,500 years back in time. The children of Israel were in the wilderness on their journey. God had given instructions to Moses on how to build a tabernacle, a, a big tent of worship. It was, like a, it was like a portable temple. You could take it down and move it and set it up again. And the first time that Moses completed all the work and set the, the uh, tabernacle up in the wilderness, the very first time the Shekinah glory cloud came down upon that place. And the people of Israel could see the cloud during the day over the tabernacle. And at night they saw this glorious fire, this light, this, this um, cloud is like it is caught on fire now with the glory of God. Artists have tried to give us a rendering of it and, and uh, this is a rendering of the cloud by day. Those lumps all around are tents. The children of Israel camped all around the tabernacle. And, uh, and then here's a scene depicting the uh, fire at night. What a scene. 
Numbers uh, describes for us that when this, when this cloud and this fire would, would remain over the tabernacle, the children of Israel stayed in that place. But when that cloud by day or the fire by night began to move, the children of Israel would move and follow that. So God led them through the wilderness night and day by the cloud and by the fire. Sometimes they would stay in a location a couple of days. Sometimes they'd stay a month. Sometimes they would stay as much as a year in one place waiting for God to lead them. And then God, this, this cloud or this fire would move away from the tabernacle and as it moved away from the tabernacle they would get up their tents and get up the tabernacle and and they would follow the cloud by day and the fire by night some of you young people are probably thinking man that would be helpful you know all these decisions I have to make in life that would be helpful like who am I going to marry you walk into a high school classroom or a college classroom and, and there sits a young lady across uh, the, uh, the room and when you look at her you see there is a cloud over her head and you'd say wow that must be the one but just to be sure I'm going to wait till it gets dark and sure enough when it gets dark there's a fire over her head and you know that's the one for you God led you wouldn't it be nice to have <laughs> to know which college should I go to which job should I take I've got two paths in front of me. Oh, yeah, there's the fire over here. I'm going to follow the fire. But remember, even though they were following the Lord, He was leading them through difficult times. He led them through the wilderness with many trials and many problems. And life is full of trials and problems. But often we have, all of us said, Wish there was an easier way to know the will of God. Well, our relationship with the Lord Jesus is what leads us now in this age. Well, with that said, let's move forward in time now, a thousand years, 1,500 years, to the time of Christ, to the time of the second temple. By the way, that Shekinah glory cloud also filled Solomon's temple. And, uh, and then it left before the Babylonian captivity, and it never came back, and it never filled the second temple, uh, that cloud that represented the very presence of God, the cloud and the fire. So we're 1,500 years now after the tabernacle and the Shekinah glory cloud and now we're in Jerusalem and uh, it's the time of Christ and uh, there was a great feast going on the feast of tabernacles had just ended and there was there was two great rituals ceremonies there were others too but there are two great ceremonies in the uh, time of the uh, the feast of tabernacles and we, we get this from historians like Josephus or, uh, or from the, the Hebrew uh, writers themselves like in the uh, Mishnah, 
the Talmud. We get these details. One, one of them we've already described to you when the priest would go to the pool of Salaam and get water in a golden pitch, uh, uh, pitcher and then pour it out on the altar. And everybody would quote scripture and rejoice and sing. But the second great one was what many historians call spectacular. At the beginning of the feast, they would, they would uh, set up huge torches in the middle of the women's court. Now, if you remember from last week, that's where Jesus is preaching from. Verse 20 in our text tells us. Look at your screen for a moment. I'll remind you about that women's court. Uh, remind you that outer court there in, inside the main wall, that court of the Gentiles, Josephus said, could house, uh, there could be uh, 75,000 people in that area. It was so big. The women's court right there, you see, uh, was about the size of a football field. Not quite, but almost the size. It was over 200 feet square. And here's a closer look at that uh, women's court. But in this women's court now, they set up these huge torches. And, uh, and a young, young priest, multiple of them, four torches, they would set ladders up and climb up those torches. And each torch could contain 17 gallons of oil to burn. And then they had huge wicks in them. The wicks were made of the priest's old garments. As the old garments wore out, they, they twisted them and wove them and uh, made giant wicks out of them. And uh, then the first night of the Feast of Tabernacle in the evening, when it was dark, they would light these big torches. And these big torches would represent, remind the people of the, their time in the wilderness and how God led them uh, with the fire by night. And so one artist drew the setting like this. You see the, the uh, temple proper in the, on the right side and in the foreground that's the, uh, where Jesus is preaching from, the treasury or the women's court. And you see that big flame. The historians tell us that those torches uh, were taller than the walls. So it, and, it, and they called it the illumination of the temple. But not only did it illuminate all of the temple grounds, but you could see it from most everywhere in Jerusalem, this huge flame. And it would run all night long. And the people celebrated uh, God's leading them in the wilderness through this ritual. Listen to what, uh, listen to what the uh, Mishnah says. The Mishnah is a uh, part of the uh, Talmud, and this was the, the Mishnah and the Talmud put together about 200 years after the time of Christ, but it uh, collected the oral and written uh, tradition of the Jewish people. And this is what the Mishnah says describing this scene, and I quote now, Men of piety and good works used to dance before these torches and burning torches in their hands. And so they were dancing around and they had, some of them would have handheld torches as well to represent 
God leading them in the wilderness. Uh, and then it says, And they were singing songs as they danced, songs of praise, and countless number of Levites played on harps and lyres and cymbals and trumpets and instruments of music. It was spectacular. Wow, what a scene. This would happen every night. The torch would go out in the morning. They would carry the oil back up to the top and light it every evening in this time of celebration. It is in this setting when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Think about this historical setting. Think about the meaning of this. He is the light of the world. In that same place where they, the night before they had been dancing and praising and singing. By the way, the Hebrew dancing was not, can't be compared to dancing today in a nightclub or a, a honky-tonk or something like that. This was not a seductive dance. This was a dance of praise. This is like when people are worshiping and they move their bodies and so forth. Uh, this was uh, praise unto the Lord. The very place where they had danced and sang and praised the night before. Now Jesus stands there. Probably, you, uh, no doubt, those torches are still there, haven't been taken down yet. And you can still smell, uh, smell the smoldering wick. And uh, maybe, we know this happened early in the morning, maybe the oil had just run out and those huge flames had just gone out. And Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. What a moment this was. All through these chapters, Jesus claims deity. He will do it in this chapter as well. But here it seems he's implying that it was him who led them in the wilderness. It was, it was him who shone forth his glory as a burning fire over the tabernacle that represented the presence of God. It was him that they had celebrated the night before. When they danced and sang praises, those praises were to him. And now the him of their praise was standing in front of them in human flesh and declaring who he was. And they knew him not. And as we see in this passage, they wanted to kill him and be rid of him. What a paradox that is. All the other lights are representative and symbols of Jesus, the great light of the world. By the way, he's the only light. He's not a light. He is the light of the world. John chapter 1 verse 9 said he is the true light, that is, as opposed to false lights. He is the true and genuine light of the world. Now before we move on, one more thought on that. That is, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to his followers, you, ye, you are the light of the world. Now how can that be? Jesus is the light of the world. How can you and I be the light of the world? Verse 16 then says, Let your light so shine 
that men may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Jesus, the light of the world, his people, the light of the world. When the Lord Jesus, in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit, created the world, the Bible tells us he created two great lights, a greater light to rule the day and a smaller light to rule the night. Of course, the sun and the moon. The moon has no light in itself. The moon is the, uh, uh, gets its light from the sun. So the sun is the source of all light. The moon is just a reflector of that light. And if the earth gets between the two, then you have an eclipse. And the part of the moon is... Uh, is blocked out, part of the light is blocked out, part of it, or maybe even all of it is blocked out because there's something between the sun and the moon. You and I as lights of the world are just reflectors of Jesus' light. Jesus is the source of all light. But when we walk close to him and follow him, he reflects his light into our lives and through our lives to other people so they can see that light, the light of Christ in us. So it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. But sometimes we let something come between us and the sun, S-O-N, the source of our light, maybe sin or neglect or ego gets between us and the sun and it restricts the, reflect, the reflection from the sun and we become less bright and more darkened. The sin of anger and pride and lust and envy, things we do, actions, things we think in our minds, attitudes, mistreatment of people, the Bible teaches us to love everyone and to be kind to everyone and to be forgiving. And when we do not do those things, the light Jesus wants to reflect in us to a world is obscured. It doesn't diminish the source. Nothing can diminish the source. But our reflection is diminished. And so it is. He is the light of the world. And so we can be lights by staying close to him. I want you to look back at verse 12 now. Let's look at our text. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Hard to walk in the dark, isn't it? Sometimes you get up during the night and you you're walking in the dark, you stump your toe, you jump up and down on one foot while you hold your other foot, and uh, you may trip or break a leg. Or... I remember when the family and I used to go camping a lot when our daughters were younger, and uh, you didn't want to walk to the bathroom in the middle of the night on a, in a campground. Uh, you wanted to be sure you had your flashlight. You could trip and hurt yourself or maybe step on a snake or something out in the woods. 
It's hard to walk in the dark. When people walk in the dark, they stumble, they fall, they hurt themselves, they hurt people around them. The world, the Bible says, the world is in darkness. But when we get saved, Colossians says we are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Christ. So Jesus says here, those that follow him will not walk and stumble around in the darkness. The word follow is an important word there. It doesn't just mean walk along behind. It means to be a follower of. It means to be committed to. It means to uh, give the ownership of your life to someone. In this case, it's Christ. When we give the ownership of our life to Christ, then we won't stumble in the darkness. But not only that, this word follow is in the present tense in the Greek indicating continual action. It means you keep on following and keep on following. The children of Israel could have said, well, there goes the Shekinah glory, the big fire, but it's going north. I'm going to go south. They could have done that. They could have chosen that. And we can choose to walk in the Lord's will. Uh, we can choose not to follow his will. And so this following is continually. If you continually follow him and give the ownership of your life into his lordship, into his hands, we will not walk and stumble in the darkness. Now with all of that said, we've got some verses to cover. We're going to move quickly through these verses. Look at verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. So immediately, instead of saying, wow, he, he is the light, the one who's performed all these miracles in front of us, now he's telling us he is the light. He's the one who led us when we were back in the wilderness 3,500 years ago, and now he's standing in front of us. No, they said, we don't believe you. You're a liar. Your testimony is not true because you testify of yourself. Of course, the law said you needed two witnesses. But that was in a court of law. That was if somebody was accused of something. The sun doesn't need a witness to shine. Everybody can see. It's shining. You can see. It gives out light. Jesus didn't need anyone to testify of him. He could testify of himself. And what he's going to say is, uh, I'm different from you. You come from the earth. I come from above, from heaven. I know where I come from and where I'm going to. Therefore, my testimony is valid. But then he's going to say, even, even so, it's not just my testimony. It's the testimony of me and my Father. Because what the Father does, I do. What I do, the Father does. It's the testimony of both. Notice how he lays that out for them. 14, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I come and whether I go. But ye know, but you cannot tell whence I come or whether I go. Ye judge after the flesh or after earthly standards, after what you can just see. I judge no man, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. But I and the Father that sent me, that is, we judge together, as it is written in your law that the testimony of two men are true. I am one that bears record of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of 
me. The Father bears witness by the miracles and by that inward witness as we talked about in verse, I mean in chapter uh, 6. Notice then uh, the response. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Now this could have been a note of sarcasm because you know the, the rumor that uh, circled Jesus' life was that he was born out of wedlock because Mary was not married when she conceived. But of course we know that was by the Holy Spirit himself. And so they said, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my Father. Of course, Jesus is talking about the Heavenly Father. And he says, You don't know me nor my Father. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Now the treasury and the, uh, the uh, court of women was the same place. Verse 21 says, Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. Now he says to the religious leaders, those who had a tremendous knowledge of the Old Testament, he said to them, You're going to die in your sins. Wow, what an indictment. You're going to die in your sins. And where I'm going now, where he's going, he's going somewhere they can't go. He's go this is just six months from the cross. He's going to die on the cross, rise again from the dead, ascend into heaven where he came from to start with. And so he's going back to heaven, but he's saying, you can't go to heaven. You're going to die in your sin. Now he modifies that in the, a few verses down. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself because he saith, whether I go, you cannot come? <laughs> they knew he was talking about eternity because now they use the analogy of killing themselves. According to Josephus, the Jews of that day believed that committing suicide meant you could not go to heaven. The fact is, they believed that you would be assigned to the lowest part of hell or Hades for committing suicide. Nearly everybody, even in our day, even in some, quote, Christian circles who believe in a works salvation, have that view. Because if you commit suicide, that's a sin. And since you can't confess that sin and forsake it because you're dead... You die in that sin. Of course, those of us who understand the scripture to teach, salvation is by grace and grace alone. And once we have salvation, then we could never lose that salvation. We understand that though someone commit this sin, that sin, this sin, or even the sin of, of suicide, that they still belong to the Lord and go to heaven. So the Jews, again, sarcastically say... Uh, what's he going to do? Kill himself so we can't go because we're not going to go to that lowest place. We won't go where he goes if he kills himself. 
Verse 23, and he saith unto them, ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are from this world, I am not of this world. You and I are quite different. Though I have a body of flesh, I came from heaven. You were born down below, here on the earth. Verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Can't get any plainer than that. Can you imagine God in the flesh, the creator of the universe, looking you in the face and saying, you're going to die in your sin if you do not believe I am. Wow, what a moment. If you've got a King James Bible you're reading from, you will notice the word he. You have to believe that I am he. The word he is in italics in the King James. That means it's not in the original text. It's been added to help us read it better and understand it better. What he says literally is, for if you believe not that I am. I am, of course, is a reference to the God of the Old Testament. This is a claim to deity. Other translators, uh, translations translated in trying to, again, make it sound more readable. Some of them say, you have to believe that I am who I am. Or you have to believe that I am who I say I am. But the Greek is just, you have to believe I am. And so... If not, he says, you will die in your sins. Then said they unto him, who art thou? Now again, maybe this is sarcasm. Or maybe in the midst of their hatred for him, maybe there is some legitimate questioning of whether they are right about him being the false, a false messiah. And so they ask, who are you? And Jesus saith unto them, even the same that I have said unto you from the beginning. I'm, I'm the same one I've been telling you I am from the beginning. I'm the Messiah. I am, I am. I am God who came in the flesh. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. The Father and I are one. These things he's been telling them, and yet they will not here. Verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he. And, or no, again, if you leave out the he, which is in italics, you'd know I am. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, he's going to be lifted up on the cross like the serpent. Chapter 12 makes it very clear. Jesus said, I'll be lifted up. And John comments, this spake he 
of the death, he would die on the cross, lifted up on the cross. So Jesus said, when I'm lifted up on the cross and, and die, and then uh, three days later I rise from the dead, then you'll know. Now, did these Pharisees know? You remember when the, the guards from the tomb came back and reported to the Jewish leaders, they told exactly what had happened. An angel came, rolled the stone. We got so afraid we shook until we passed out. They knew. They had to willfully reject the knowledge of who he was or trust him. The scripture says in the book of Acts, many priests and Jewish leaders did trust Christ, but many did not. The ones he's speaking to on this particular day, the ones he spoke to and said, you're going to die in your sins if you don't believe that I am. Whether they believed or not, we do not know. Notice in verse 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. There's the beautiful fellowship that Jesus had with the Father and that you and I can have with the Lord Jesus and with the Father as well. And he says, For the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And as he spake, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Have you believed on him? If not, you're going to die in your sin. That is, die guilty of your sin, surrounded by your sin, under the condemnation and punishment of sin. But if you believe, Jesus declares there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful passage. Now, we're going to watch a little clip. It's only three minutes long, so watch the clip. I wish at the very beginning Jesus would have, the actor here would have said these words in a bigger way. Uh, but yet it, it is very good. And as I say, it may have happened something like this. Let's watch this three-minute clip. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life and will never walk in darkness. Now you are testifying on your own behalf. What you say proves nothing! No. Even though I do testify on my own behalf, what I say is true. Because I know where I came from and where I am going. You do not know where I came from or where I am going. You make judgments in a purely human way. I pass judgment on no one. But if I were to do so, my judgment would be true. Because I am not alone in this. The Father who sent me is with me. It is written in your law that when two witnesses agree, what they say is true. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me also testifies on my behalf. Where is your Father? You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus said all this as he taught in the temple, in the room where the offering boxes were placed. And no one arrested him, because his hour had not come. 
I will go away. You will look for me. But you will die in your sins. You cannot go where I am going. He says that we cannot go where he is going. Does this mean that he will kill himself? You belong to this world here below. But I come from above. You are from this world, but I am not from this world. That is why I told you that you will die in your sins. And you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am who I am. Who are you? What I have told you from the very beginning. I have much to say about you. Much to condemn you for. The one who sent me, however, is truthful. And I tell the world only what I have heard from him. They did not understand that Jesus was talking to them about the Father. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am who I am. Then you will know that I do nothing on my own authority. But I say only what the Father has instructed me to say. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Because I always do what pleases him. Many who heard Jesus say these things believed in him. Some believed, and some did not. Same is true today. You can trust Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, wherever you are. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you know you're a sinner and know you need forgiveness and you believe Jesus died and rose again and you want him to be your Savior and forgive your sin, then pray this prayer with me and mean it. The promise is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, your Master. Pray with me this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I have sinned. I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And right now, I call on you. I call on you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe in you. I become a follower of you, committing myself to you. Thank you for coming into my heart like you promised. Thank you for saving me like you promised. Help me to live for you and to find your joy and peace and to follow your light through this wilderness journey. Thank you for saving me. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and you really meant it, I want you to claim the promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not maybe or perhaps, but shall be. Trust him. Trust that promise and begin walking in the light with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe as believers, we've allowed something to come between us and the Lord. And so the reflection, like an eclipse, the reflection that we should be reflecting Jesus as lights has been diminished. Confess, forsake that. Yield yourself afresh to his lordship, to his controlling, and start following again with all your heart, giving total ownership to the Lord Jesus. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you 
for our time together. We pray for those who have called on you as Lord and Savior. Help them to have assurance and know they belong to you. We pray for your people everywhere who are listening that we would remove by confession and forsaking sin, remove those things that keep us from reflecting your light to this world like you've told us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, we would like to know about it. And uh, we would like for you to... Uh, to, uh, you can send us a letter, you can call the church and leave a message, you can text uh, or email any of the staff. We would love to get some literature into your hands and help you as you begin your Christian life.